What is your purpose? Why do you do what you do? What are you living for? Have you ever stopped to think about your motivations, the thing behind the thing, behind the thing that drives you, that pulls you forward, that keeps you getting up day after day, or maybe that causes you to stay in bed and not want to get up day after day because you maybe don't seem to have it in the way that you want? Have you ever thought about your purpose in life? Now, there's some easy, obvious answers about maybe what your purpose is or why you do what you do or the way that you do what you do, but have you ever really thought about it? Kind of probe the depths of your motivation, your decisions, your thoughts, your actions, your values. You see, I think there is a, a deficit in purpose in our world today. As I look around the world and I see all of the problems, all of the dissatisfaction, all of the addictions, all of the searching and wandering and loneliness and heartache and anxiety and fear that so many of us experience, and even on some small level, I think it comes from a lack of purpose, of true purpose. You know, 20 years ago, Rick Warren, a pastor in a church in California, wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And if you account for all the different forms that the book was published in, it sold over 50 million copies. Now, why would a book called The Purpose Driven Life sell almost 50 million copies? It's because I think we're all searching for something. I think we're all longing, looking, wondering about why, do, why am I here? Why do I exist? What am I living for? What is my purpose here on this earth? And as you begin to kind of read through some of the things that have been written about what motivates the human heart, you recognize that there are different levels of purposes. There are different kind of tiers, similar maybe in ways to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But I think the most basic and the most fundamental kind of purpose that we might have as humans and individuals is we live for survival. We have to meet our basic needs. We need some type of shelter. We need food. We need water. We need air. And at any time those things are threatened or taken away from us, all of our attention, all of our resources and energy and motivations are driven towards ensuring that we have access to those basic things for survival. Don't believe me? Try holding your breath. At some point, your body will force yourself to <gasps> take a big breath because it recognizes that in that moment, its ultimate purpose needs to be survival. But on top of that, the next level of purpose that I think many of us live for or have, have seasons of our lives where we have lived for this is we live for satisfaction. We live for things that feel good. Once we know that we're safe and we're cared for, now it's like, how do we seek pleasure? How do we do things that leave us smiling at the end of the experience? What are the ways that we pursue comfort and security in those ways that we pursue kind of that feeling of satisfaction? And so you can recognize how often that can lead us to trouble when our ultimate purpose in life is satisfaction and how at the end of the day, what once used to bring joy or fulfillment or happiness or pleasure doesn't do it in the same way that it used to do it. And so you need a little bit more and then a little bit more and a little bit more, all trying to achieve the same level of pleasure and happiness and satisfaction. That is the very nature of addiction across any medium or form. It's you always need more because you come, become desensitized to the, the hit that you get and the experience that you receive and the pleasure that it elates in the brain and in, the, in your life and in your heart and mind. And so we recognize that ultimately, if our ultimate purpose is satisfaction, we don't leave, live the fullest life possible. So there's another level 
that, of purpose that we can live for, and that's living for success, for achievement, for accomplishment, to feel like we made a mark in the world, that we have something to show for our time here, for our efforts. It's the way that so many of us pour ourselves maybe into our families or into our careers or into the things that we believe contribute to our legacy. Maybe it's an, an amount of financial security that we bequeath to our family because we know then that we have amassed something and done something that will provide for them and provide some security and stability in their lives. And these things aren't wrong. It's not wrong to want to pursue success or achievement to reach the, you know, the peak of human performance or you know, some level of proficiency or excellence in our field. None of these things are wrong. It's not wrong to pursue satisfaction or to pursue, pursue survival. But what I think I see as I kind of survey the world and as I survey this moment in time is that they're not wrong and they're not bad to live for these things. They're just not enough. I think so much of the, the ache and the heartache in the human heart that gets manifested in all the different ways in our society and in all the different ways in our lives comes from the fact that we are looking for something more. We are longing for a deeper level of fulfillment. We are longing for a deeper level of meaning. Ultimately, we are seeking a truer, better, fuller, more meaningful purpose in our life. And so this morning, that's what we're going to talk about, what this last level of purpose that we can live for is. And I think it's the, the opportunity to live for significance, to live as a part of something greater than ourselves. You see, over the last several weeks, we've been walking through this series on the book of Haggai, which is this little-known book tuck, tucked away in the back of the Old Testament. But the reason that I feel like the story of Haggai has been so important for us is because the story of Haggai tells the story of how the people of Israel returned to normal life after being in captivity in Babylon for 50 years. This was a dramatic and traumatic experience in their lives. Everything that they knew was upended, was turned upside down, Life was discombobulated. All the things that they had come to count on, to depend on, to trust in in their lives, all of the routines and the normalcy and the way that they lived, all of their sense of identity as a people, all of that was stripped away from them and they were taken into exile into the land of Babylon. And there they remained for 50 years until they were allowed to return back to their homeland and to Jerusalem where they begin to rebuild their lives and they begin to rebuild their temple and their homes and I think that as I look at the world, this is where we are today. We're beginning to return. There's increasing amounts of normalcy in our lives. There's increasing amounts of returning to how things once were. And so I think for us, the story of Haggai and the story of the people of Israel during this particular window in time is the perfect cautionary tale for where we find ourselves today. Because by looking at their story, and some of the things that they did or didn't do, the ways that they misstepped or some of the pitfalls or snares or traps that they experienced, I think it can serve as a guide, as a tool to help us better navigate the way that we return to normal life. And so in week one, we just kind of set up this whole idea of what it looks like to return to normal life. And what we identified is that the story of Haggai is broken down into a series of four messages or four sermons that the prophet Haggai brings to the people of Israel. And so in week one, the first message that Haggai brings to the people of Israel is kind of criticizing them and chiding them for getting distracted um, with what was most important in their lives. You see, after the people of Israel were allowed to return to Jerusalem, 
after they had been in captivity for 50 years in the land of Babylon. They begin to work and rebuild the temple. But then they got distracted. The familiarity of their normal lives, their routines, all of the other things that they prioritized and spent their time and efforts and energy on kind of got the best of them and took them away from their original purpose of rebuilding the temple, of working to develop a place where the presence of God could exist in their lives. And so Haggai shows up, and it has been 17 years since they had been working on the temple. That's a long time to be distracted. That's a long time to be preoccupied with all of the things that you have going on in your life. And Haggai says, listen, the reason that you are spending all of your efforts and energies chasing all of these things, and it's yielding nothing, you're pursuing all of these things, and yet you still feel dissatisfied. You're chasing all of these things. You're spending your time and energy and money and resources in all of these different areas, and it feels like you're not getting what you need in return. He says the reason is because you're not spending your efforts in the right place. You've missed what should be most important. You've missed your number one priority in your life, and that's working to develop the presence of God, rebuilding the temple as they understood it. And so we talked about how easy it is to get distracted in our own lives and how we really need to double down our efforts in this new season to maintain these habits and routines that allow us to stay connected to God, to develop and build his presence in our life. Because that's where meaning and fulfillment come from. It's found in God. It's not in all of these other things that we can so easily chase and pursue. And then in week two, we looked at another danger or temptation that strikes us, and that's the one of dissatisfaction. You see, as the people of Israel heeded Haggai's kind of message and began to get back to work and rebuilding the temple, what they recognized is the temple didn't look as great as, it, as they remembered it looking, or it didn't meet the expectations that they had if they hadn't seen the temple previously. And so they spent all of this time and effort on this work, and then they were just let down because it failed to live up to expectations. We talked about how easy this can happen to us too as we return to normal life, the way that we experience dissatisfaction, the way that we can encounter um, you know, expectations not being met. It can cause us to struggle, to misstep, to get discouraged and to stop the work. And so what we saw at the end of week two's message with, was the promise that there was something greater coming that we can't see that there is more coming than what we're able to perceive in this moment and that if we can hang on to hope that God will do something amazing in our life. And then last week, we talked about how important obedience is and the choice that's available to us and how when we live aligned with God's will for our life and how we live aligned to God's purpose and creating the presence of God in our life, it leads to blessing, it leads to flourishing, it leads to an abundance of resources in our life, not physical resources, but emotional, spiritual resources, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, trust, hope, and how really that's what eternal life looks like, is life beyond life, life in the fullest sense here and now. And so this week, we're going to wrap this whole thing up. And we're going to look at the last message that Haggai brings to the people of Israel. And in fact, he just brings it to one person. Uh, and it's just a really short message. And so we're going to jump in to the book of Haggai in the second chapter, starting in verse 20. If you're watching on our online platform, you can use the little Bible feature to follow along with us. And if you don't want to do any work, I'll do it for you this morning, and I will be happy to read to you. So, 
We've had the recap. We've had three different messages that have been spread out over four different months. And this last message comes at the same day, on the same day, as last week's message, is message three. And so you kind of get two for one in this one. And so Haggai begins to address one specific person. So here we are, Haggai chapter two, verse 20. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the the kingdoms of the nations. I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. Now, this is a little strange, but essentially what God is saying through the prophet Haggai is that, hey, listen, Zerubbabel, there's a moment coming soon where I'm gonna do something new in the world. All of the kingdoms that people lend their trust to that people place their hope in, their allegiance to, eventually all of these kingdoms are gonna give way. They're gonna give way because they fight and combat with each other, they're divisive and they attack one another and ultimately they're gonna lead to each other's demise. And as they do, I'm gonna usher in something new. I'm pressing reset on this whole system and there's gonna be something new that happens in the world. I'm gonna bring in a new kingdom, a different kingdom than any of these other kingdoms here in the world a different kingdom than people have seen before. And I'm gonna do it starting with you. And so in verse 23, God continues on and says, on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now this is kind of an interesting metaphor that God says, Zerubbabel, you're gonna be like my signet ring. Now, if you don't know what a signet ring is, don't worry, because I had to look it up too. But what I've learned in looking up what a signet ring is, is this was typically a ring that a king would wear, usually on his right hand. And the way that the ring would work is anytime the king needed to send some formal message, some decree, some instruction, some you know, um, response to another dignitary or somebody, whoever the king needed to communicate instruction to, They would write it on a little scroll or whatever. They'd roll it up and then they'd put a little dollop of soft hot wax at the edge of the scroll where it was rolled or the parchment or whatever the paper was at the time. And they'd put a little dollop of wax and then the king would take his signet ring and he'd stick it in the wax and it would seal the document. So it would be a sealed document that bore the emblem of whatever was in the king's ring. Now, when you would receive this document, you would take a look at it, realize that it hadn't been opened, it hadn't been doctored up, the words hadn't been changed, and you could trust that this was direct um, coming from the king himself. And you would know which king it was and what it meant based on the signet or the emblem that was left in the wax. Maybe you've seen this in a TV show before. This is similar kind of to the way that a notary of public works in our life today, a little less cool, but... Anyway, that's what a signet ring is. And so anytime you have a signet ring, the signet ring communicates a couple of different things. The first thing that it communicates is identity. It is connected to a very specific king. My guess would be back in that time period when kings used rings like this, every king had their own ring and every ring uh, was decorated or molded or shaped differently to communicate the specific identity of that king. And so the ring communicated identity. The other thing that the ring communicated was authority. You knew that 
based on which king it was, that it communicated and bore the full weight of his authority on any messaging or anything that would be happening because of what was communicated in that piece of paper. And so when you see the wax seal, you think, oh, this is king so-and-so. And this comes from king so This is an official document. This is an important message coming from the king. And then the last thing that it would communicate was the king's presence. Because the king maybe couldn't come and deliver the message himself. Maybe it was unsafe or you know, not realistic for the king to make the journey all the way. This still bore the same authority as the king telling you this instruction in person. So it's connected to a specific king. It bears the identity of that king. It bears um, the messaging and the responsibility of that king. And it bears the authority of that king. And so this is what God's saying to Zerubbabel. He's saying, listen, Zerubbabel, I'm going to make you like a signet ring. In this, mo- in this new thing that I'm doing in the world, you're going to bear my identity. And you're going to bear my presence and my authority. And you're going to bear you know, the responsibility of people doing whatever it is that I'm going to be asking you to do. Whatever that's going to be happening in the world, they're going to know where it's coming from. And they're going to know that it's true and they can trust it and they can count on it because of you and the way that you're going to demonstrate as my signet ring. Now this is a little strange of a metaphor that God uses in this moment, but it's actually connected to Zerubbabel's family lineage. Now you see, we have to go back in time about 75, 78 years. Remember, the reason that this whole story started was the people of Israel were taken into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. Now the reason that the Babylonian Empire came and took over Jerusalem and the people of Israel is if you read back in the prophets, in particular the prophet of Jeremiah, God sends some instruction and some warning to the then king of the time, Jehoiakim. Now Jehoiakim is not just any person related to the story, but he is the grandfather of Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel is the grandson of Jehoiakim, and 80 years ago, Zerubbabel's grandfather is king of the people of Israel. And God sends him a message through a prophet similar to God using Haggai, but he does it through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says, listen, you've got to make sure that you're doing what I've asked you to do. You've stopped being compassionate. You've stopped being just. You've stopped advocating for mercy. You have failed to do the things that I've asked you to do. And God says, you have to get back on track. You have to get back to your original purpose of being an ambassador for me, a representative of me and what I've called you to be as the leader of my people, a people that are supposed to be different, a people that are supposed to be special, that are supposed to be a cut above everybody else in the way that they treat others and the way that they're kind and just and merciful. And you failed to do that, Jehoiakim. You failed to do that because you've lost sight of your ultimate purpose. You've lost sight of the significance that you could be living for and you've pursued other things. You've pursued satisfaction and you've pursued success. You've allowed those sub-tier things to become your ultimate purpose. And because of that, God gets angry and he says, I'm going to remove you. And this is how he says it. This is in Jeremiah chapter 22. As I live, says the Lord, even if Jehoiakim... Son of Jehoiakim, were the signet ring on my right hand. Even from there, I would tear you off and give you into the hands of those who seek your life, into the hands of those whom you are afraid, even into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. 
And this is exactly what happens. God said, listen, Jehoiakim, you were supposed to be my signet ring. You were supposed to bear my identity. You were supposed to bear my presence and my authority. People were supposed to see you and think of me. But you failed to do that. And so God says, if you were like a ring on my finger, a signet ring that bared my identity, I'd rip you off and I'd throw you away. And this is exactly what happens. And God gives the people of Israel in Jerusalem over into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And they take over Jerusalem. And that's how this whole story of Haggai starts. And so you can see how God is closing the loop on the family history and the history of the people of Israel. God's saying, listen, Zerubbabel, you've realigned your life with my purpose. You have started the work of rebuilding the temple. You have led these people well. You are acting and living in a way that aligns yourself to the calling that I've placed on your life. And because of this, you're going to bear my image. You're going to bear my presence. You're going to bear my authority. You're going to be like the signet ring that your grandfather couldn't be. You're going to go forward because I have chosen you for something specific. I've chosen you to demonstrate me and my presence as this new kingdom comes into the world. Now, this idea of being chosen, of ushering in a new kingdom, of living a life different so that others can see your actions and your choices and your values and your decisions and remember, be recalled to the one in whose name you serve. This is the same message that Jesus brings several hundred years later. He comes in bringing a message of this kingdom of God that is coming into the world. The kingdom of God is near. Repent, change your hearts and your minds and your lives. Reorient yourself to living for God. And in that way, people will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the message that Jesus brought. This is the same message that God is giving to Zerubbabel and the people of Israel in this time. And it is the same message that is available and for us today in this moment. As we begin to return to normal life, we have a chance to reevaluate our purpose. As we begin to return back to the way that we do things, there has been a space, there has been a distance, there has been a pause on all of the ways that we spend our efforts and energies. And my hope is it allows us to take stock and to evaluate how we're living our lives and for what purpose we are living our lives. And so maybe if you had previously had moments or seasons or an entirety of your life where you're living just for survival or satisfaction or even success, that this would be a chance for you to recognize the opportunity to choose different, to align your life with a greater purpose, one filled with more significance and more meaning and more fulfillment. You see, God doesn't say this to Jehoiakim directly, but what we see play out is when we don't align our life with our ultimate purpose, inevitably I think it ends in destruction. Now, does it mean that your family is going to be taken captive, your house is going to be burned, and you're going to you know, live the rest of your life in some other foreign country? No, I don't know that that's what it means. But I do recognize the dissatisfaction that people find themselves in when they pursue these other things. I recognize that there's always the end of the road, a dead end, a meaninglessness, a purposelessness, a lack of satisfaction that people experience in their lives when they pursue these other things. If success was the ultimate purpose for our lives, then the richest people in the world would be the happiest people in the world. And we all know miserable rich people. If pleasure was the ultimate 
purpose for our lives, then we know the people who have access to all of the pleasure would be the happiest people on earth. And we recognize that it's often the exact opposite. Those are some of the most miserable people that I come across, those who are just chasing after, you know, kind of carnal pleasure after carnal pleasure. There's only one road that leads to fulfillment. There's only one road that leads to life. This is the message in the story of Scripture again and again and again. It's the same thing we talked about last week. It's the same thing we talked about week one. Why do we keep talking about this idea? Because it is so easy for us as we return to our normal lives to get distracted, to get discouraged, um, to be swayed by disobedience, to lose sight of our ultimate purpose. And that ultimate purpose is simple. It's to live our life as representatives of Christ, to live in his example, to conduct our thoughts, our choices, our actions, our decisions, our values, our relationships, to bear his image in all that we do. You know, Jesus boiled down all of the commandments of Scripture from 613 down to essentially one. Love others as I have loved you. You could extrapolate it to two, love God and love others. But it's really the same message to live our lives in a way that bears the image of God. And so for you today, how could you do that differently? In the small decisions that you make every morning or every afternoon, the way that you conduct yourself at work, the way that you interact with your family, the way that you spend your money, the way that you spend your time, how could you begin to realign yourself as an ambassador, as a representative, as a signet ring for the king? How would that change your actions? How would that change your values and your belief systems? How would that change your efforts and energies? It's easy for us to get caught up in all of these other purposes, to live for things that don't ultimately lead to the significance and the meaning that we long for, that we were created for. My hope for you today is that you would begin to choose a different purpose. I saw, I've seen great examples of this over the last couple weeks. There are two women here in the church who reached out to me just a little over a week ago and they said, Stephen, we recognize a need in our church and in our community. We have a population of, of church members who are over a certain age that maybe don't have the same access to come to church in person. They maybe feel a little disconnected and uncared for. And so we would love, you know, with your permission to begin to start a ministry to care for these people, to reach out to them, to let them know that the church loves them, that God loves them, that there are people who are thinking of them. I think it's a perfect example of what it means to begin to realign your life with a greater purpose, with a greater significance. In their actions, in their phone calls, in their cards, in the handwritten notes that they will be sending, it's the perfect example of what it means to love others as Christ loved us. Additionally, two weeks ago, I had a group of men reach out and say, Stephen, we know that it probably takes a lot of work to set up for church on the lawn on Sunday mornings. We'd love to come and help. We'd love to make that work easier for you and your team. How can we show up? And so at 6 a.m. they show up and they begin to lend their hands to help us build the stage and set up the speakers and all of the things that go into making sure the church on the lawn can happen. Do they have to do that? No. At 6 a.m. early? Yes. But they're there because they recognize that there is a greater purpose for their lives, one that bears the image of God. And so for you today, I don't know what that looks like. Our goal as a church is to help create opportunities for you to do that. I think this birthday party and the way that we're doing this gift drive with the birthday party project is a great, easy step for you. So you can go online and go to the birthday party project's Amazon wish list and buy all the toys that you want and bring them to church on the lawn or send them to the birthday party project. But there's a way for us to begin to realign our purpose, to realign our significance. Maybe for you, you've never supported the church financially. 
Maybe this is a step for you because you recognize that it is hard for you to part with your money because you, you view it as a sense of security or as a sense of status or, or significance. And so maybe for you, it's as we begin to think about 2021 gifts, maybe this is the first time that you and your family say, all right, we're going to let go of a little bit, recognizing that God has given us more than enough. We're going to release a little bit to support the mission in the work of the church, to begin to be a part of what God is doing in this world. Maybe for you, it's just you're going to treat your family differently. You're going to be kinder. You're going to be more present at home. You're going to offer more grace. You're going to be less critical. Maybe it's going to change the way that you, you view the nature of your relationship with your significant other or how you treat your employees or the way that you're generous with the people in your life. There are so many ways to do this. There's so many ways for us to begin to shift and realign our purpose with that of bearing the image of God. Just like Zerubbabel, we are God's signet ring in the world. We bear his identity. We bear his presence. We bear his authority. And so maybe, maybe we actually go out and live that way. Maybe we go out and live out of this purpose, out of this significance, aligning our lives and letting all who see our good deeds recognize and bring glory to our Father in heaven. That's my prayer for us as a church. Let me pray for our time together this morning. Gracious God, we come before you and we are grateful for this chance to be reminded of the way that you've created us, that you have made us on purpose and for a purpose and that purpose is simple and clear, to live our lives as representatives of you, to bear your image in all that we do, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions and decisions. God, as we act and live in this world, let other people see the way that we do so and be drawn into a relationship with you. That is our prayer, and we ask for your help in this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, friends, each and every week as we close out our service, we do so with the reminder of the message that I just shared that the church is not a building, the church is not a service, but the church is the way that we live and act out our faith in the world. And so each and every week, we leave with a blessing, with words that we say out loud together as a reminder of this truth. So wherever you find yourself today, I hope that you will say these words with us loud and proud. May the peace of Christ go with us wherever he may send us. May he guide us through the wilderness and protect us through the storm. May our lives be used to share the love that Christ has shown us. And may he gather us together once again into these doors. We love you. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.